We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Post up by Adams working inside. Whistle and one. Oh! And T. Ferg rocking the rim. What is up, Thunder fans? And welcome to the Uncontested Post Game Podcast. This is your boy, Taylor Peterson. And you can find us wherever you listen to your podcast. Literally, we're pretty much anywhere at this point. We're very proud of that. So be sure to uh, subscribe wherever you listen and uh, keep listening to us if you enjoy what you're listening to. We are probably part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. And be sure to check them out as well on their website and follow them on Twitter. Um, especially with the NFL playoffs in full swing, particularly this weekend. My Chiefs are up uh, with a really tough matchup against the Texans, but I'm really excited about it. Um, there's some really good matchups all around the league in the NFL uh, this this upcoming weekend, all the way up into the Super Bowl. Not to mention that the the NBA is is close to its halfway point, which seems crazy. You know, we're getting closer and closer to that. And um, you know, the Blue Wire will have you covered for it all. They have a great Twitter account. They're posting some great content. Not to mention they have a YouTube channel that'll be coming up here. All right, it's already live, but they'll be getting more active here soon. So definitely be sure to check them out, um, as well as us. We definitely would appreciate that. Uh, like I said, the the NBA season is already halfway through, which seems insane. Um, and we we have some great content coming out that we're really excited about. So definitely stay tuned. However, with all that optimistic news up front, I might get a little more pessimistic. Pessimistic here. Unfortunately, the Thunder's five game win streak was snapped tonight as they lost to the Philadelphia 76ers in Philly, 120. To 113. As you can hear in the background, Rumble, my puppy, my beagle Rumble, three years old, uh, he is not very happy about this loss. He he is not having it. Um, so just some quick stats and facts before we, we jump to the game that I, I found really interesting. And uh, the first of these come from none other than member of the pod, Nick Crane. 
You can find him at CraneNBA on Twitter. He is uh, a part of Forbes Sports, covers the Thunder for Forbes, and he tweeted out some really good stats I wanted to bring up here. So before tonight's game, the Thunder were 20-2 and all-time against the Sixers, which is a pretty crazy stat. They only lost two times against the Sixers in the existence of the franchise. The Thunder were also had, or they also had a .909 winning percentage against the Sixers, which was the best in the NBA since 2008. So, uh, coming into this game, I think the the Thunder organization felt, you know, pretty excited about it. Uh, they wanted to keep that streak alive. Obviously, the Sixers have a very, very good team this year. If you listen to our our uh, preseason podcast that we had for the uncontested, there was many of us, myself included, that. Uh, that predicted the Sixers to come out of the East. However, they've struggled a little bit this season. This was actually their first win since Christmas, which seems insane. Um, I think if you guys are like me and have had a very busy holiday season and a very busy first couple of weeks back since then, Christmas seems like forever ago. <laughs> and the the Sixers just broke a four-game losing streak with this win. So it's kind of the opposite of the, uh, of the Thunder and, and was really kind of interesting to see. So, uh, you know, my first memory that comes to my mind when I think of these these Sixers game is last season. And I have to admit, it was probably one of my favorite Thunder buzzer beaters of all time. And it, at least, so I've been this house, uh, this rental house with my wife now for about two years. A little under two years. It's probably the loudest I've ever screamed in my living room. And I'm going to go ahead and play it for you guys because it, it, it was a very fun moment for me. And whenever I think of the Sixers, this is what I think of now. You gotta think Paul George has to get a touch at some point. The three ball quickly got it and one by George Paul on the job. Incredible. So that was the shot that uh, put the OKC Thunder up 116 to 115 against the Philadelphia 76ers last year uh, with, let's see, 5.1 seconds left in the fourth quarter, <laughs> uh, which is really kind of funny because that was January 19th, 2019 last year. So very, very close to almost exactly a year ago. And uh, I, I got to admit, that was uh, one of the most fun buzzer beaters, uh, obviously outside of some of the obvious ones like Russell Westbrook's uh, MVP season against Denver, uh, among some of the other buzzer beaters in Thunder history that really stick out to me. And um, so all that to say, I was very optimistic heading into this game, but unfortunately, <laughs> that wasn't the case tonight. There wasn't a comeback buzzer beater from Paul George. Um, you know, there wasn't a another win to add on to that twenty to two record that I mentioned earlier. Um, so, so a quick breakdown um, for those of you that weren't able to watch the game. It was, it was an early game, and that kind of threw me off as well because I actually got off work late, um, and uh, it, was, it was a little different, I think, than what we're accustomed to. So, I, I always want to give you guys a quick breakdown in case you guys missed the game or just for things you guys may have missed. Um, so, the first quarter happens. I think one of the first things that kind of sticks out to me there is um, early on in the first quarter, the Thunder were already up 9-0 on fast break points. And you could tell they were making a point to push the ball in transition. And that's something I'll get into uh, later on in the post-game podcast. But uh, you could tell they were making, an, an, making it an initiative to do that early on, and it was working. Um, and like I said, you know that's, that's kind of a theme that I think we see throughout the entire game tonight. Um, unfortunately, there was other factors that <laughs> didn't, didn't quite help that, but they, they did do a really good job of that, and they established that early on. The Thunder let Tobias Harris get hot early, which Tobias has kind of struggled. I, I haven't watched a ton of Philly, but I've kept up with them quite frequently. Um, I'm always watching stats, and I, I have watched a, a more Philly games, I think, than some, uh, some other teams around the league. 
that I've watched so far this season. And Tobias really hasn't had the best year so far, particularly compared to last year. And um, the Thunder let, let him get hot. Let him get hot early. For example, Philly was four of six from three in the first quarter. And Tobias had three of those four. Uh, something else that happened in the first quarter, which was kind of crazy, was uh, Joel Embiid dislocated his ring finger with about a minute 26 left in the first. And it was pretty gross. As our own Jacob said and tweeted out, which is really, really funny. It looked like he was unintentionally throwing up gang signs. <laughs> and that really is like you guys have to go look at Up the Thunder actually tweet out a video of it. But it was really pretty gross, and it looked bad. I mean, it, you looked at that, and, and there was like a, a – the video shows Mescala in the background on the bench just like grimacing, and that was kind of all of our reactions. I mean, you never want to see that for a player, particularly the caliber uh, of a player like Embiid. And uh, at that point, I think there was a lot of us who thought that maybe he had some broken fingers and might be out for the, at least the rest of the game. However, second quarter happens, and uh, we're all tied up at 21 to start the second quarter. And here comes Embiid. He comes back in after relocating his ring finger so it wasn't broken, at least not that I've heard of so far while I'm doing this post-game podcast. Uh, but it seems like it was just dislocated. He was able to put it back into socket and just taped it back in and was ready to go. <laughs> and, you know, he he didn't have his best game by any means, but he certainly uh, didn't seem like it was affecting him all that much. So... It was definitely a surprise, but I, it is good to see Embiid stay healthy. You know, you never want to see superstars uh, get awful injuries or anything of that nature. And so he, he comes back in the second quarter. And the Thunder, Thunder keep it close up until like the last couple minutes in the second, uh, probably a little, little longer than that. It was probably closer to like around five, four minutes left in the second quarter. But basically, the Sixers go on. They outscore the Thunder 31 to 21 in the third quarter as a whole, but go on a run towards the end of the fourth. Or, goodness, not the end of the fourth, the end of the second and the half, and it was just, it was ugly. And a lot of that was due to their out, hot outside shooting and poor perimeter defense by the Thunder. Combine that with the Thunder not being able to shoot anything on the offensive end, and it was just a terrible end to end the half. Thunder only shot 41% from the field, only 6 of 16 from 3, and had only 8 assists to the 6 or 17 assists, which shows you how hot they were shooting and how they were moving the ball. Also, the Thunder had eight turnovers, so all of that is a recipe for disaster, and that's exactly what happened there uh, in the end of the first half. And so second half, and uh, second half kind of started as the first half ended, unfortunately. Not a whole lot of offensive spark. Thunder started. I think a perfect example of this is Shooter came in with about 840 left in the third, and he didn't come in for PG or for Shea. It was the three-guard lineup, which has been obviously, as you guys have heard, Oftentimes on our podcast, and I'm sure others, and seen on Twitter, that's uh, one of the best three guard lineups in the or three man line, lineups in the entire league. And uh, Billy went to that quite earlier than he usually does. Like I said, 8:40 left in the third quarter, and I really think that was because Billy was just looking for an offensive spark. You know, Gallo couldn't hit anything. Um, CP3 was struggling. Um, he, he wasn't hitting his mid-rangers like we're, we've been accustomed to, which I'll get into. Also, Shea, which I'll also get into, was kind of struggling with some of these Sixers' length. So Billy just went to his best lineup, just trying to find a, a spark, uh, whether that came off the bench and shooter or whoever that came from. And unfortunately, he still kind of struggled to find that. Um, the second part of the third quarter was better, though. And that wasn't because the Thunder necessarily got hot by any means, but even though the Thunder weren't hitting their shots like they have been this season, they were aggressive and they were attacking the rim. And I think Steven and Gallo are kind of the two prime examples of this. And now this comes from the fourth quarter, this stat, but I wanted to bring this up because I, I think this fits really well here. 
at one point, Stephen had drawn four of the five fouls in the fourth quarter uh, against the Sixers. <laughs> I mean, he was just going to the line one possession after the other, and it was so great to see, especially from Stephen. But Gallo was doing the same thing. You know, we saw him um, driving and, and drawing fouls, whether it was on jump shots or driving to the rim. And that was really huge for this team and really kept him in the game because the, even though they were shooting free throws poorly, which is another theme I'll get into, kind of showing all my cards here early on, but uh, early on the podcast, but regardless, um, that, that really did kind of keep them alive when they weren't hitting their shots in the third quarter. So the fourth quarter, like I mentioned, it, it was a lot of back and forth. Uh, the Thunder were able to get it close to start the fourth quarter. Eight times in the fourth quarter, the Thunder came back within one or two points which shows you just how close it was. Yet another nail-biter for this OKC Thunder team, which never fails to entertain or raise my blood pressure. Uh, but they still couldn't get shots to fall when it mattered, especially from outside. And also, they couldn't get points from their key guys when they needed it most, which they've been able to rely on, um, and, and rightfully so, throughout the majority of the season. So the Thunder pulled within two with three minutes left. The Sixers rattled off nine straight, to end it that was pretty much it uh, i think it was richardson that hit the dagger i tweeted that that out that it was, it was pretty much over at that point with you know a little less than a minute left so that's kind of a a little breakdown of tonight's game and i want to get into some themes for the game uh comrade has been doing stock up stock down which i love actually kind of similar to what i'm doing um other of us have like different approaches you know me and nick just kind of did a back and forth the other night last week um but for me, when I'm just doing my own post-game podcast, I love to do some positive and negatives because I feel like it's a really easy but also an efficient and fun way to break down the games. So I'm going to continue to go with my theme. Um, and I'm going to start with the negatives first because I hate ending on negatives. I love to be a positive person, you know? So let's start with the negatives and we'll end with the positives. My first negative is one of the most obvious ones, and that is the Thunder's defense, which has been oftentimes pretty great so far this season. Um, but tonight... Thunder have only given up, uh, just, or sorry, just a stat that I came across before this, before doing this podcast is that, that the Thunder had only given up 120 plus points eight times so far this season. The other time, or one of the other times was against Philly, and that was also a loss. <laughs> it seems more often that, than not when the Thunder give up 120 plus points, they're going to lose, but I will say there were some games um, where they were able to outscore their, uh, their, outscore their opponents when their opponents did have 100. 120 plus points all that to say that is an anomaly and um, is not something we often see from this thunder team who usually holds opponents between 90 and you know 110 points a game philly shot 50 percent from three they were 13 of 26 tonight and for reference yet again uh philly is 36.2 percent as a team from three on the season uh, and i looked that up on nba stats uh, as soon as the game was over so that may not be updated but regardless <laughs> they shot quite quite a bit better tonight than they have been shooting from outside and I think that is just even further justified with all the rumors about and not even rumors just you know analysts NBA national NBA analysts on Twitter and on the athletic and different websites of that nature they're uh, clamoring for the Sixers to find outside shooting and now the rumors that the Sixers are indeed looking for outside shooting come trade deadline and obviously they need it but not tonight against the Thunder. They were stroking, and uh, Josh Richardson was was having a huge game. The the I believe he was Edmund um, went to high school in Edmond, so maybe he has something like you know he wanted to come out and perform really well against his hometown team, whatever it was. He was playing great, hitting a lot of uh, a lot of outside shots, 
and just the rest of their team in general was just really Trey Burke <laughs> comes off the bench and just played great for them he was five to seven from the field and two of three from three and I'm looking at these stats now Josh Richardson was only two of four from three which seems crazy um nine of 17 from the field which is probably why I guess I thought some of those were three-point shots regardless the defense let Philly shoot uh, a very good percentage and that that showed <laughs> they shot much better than they do against other teams and much better than they have uh, for the majority of the season and I think a reason for that is that the Thunderbird they were going under on screens and they needed to protect the perimeter better, which seems obvious. But that's something they've done so well uh, so far this season. And we don't really see them kind of going under on screen so much. We see them switching because of their versatility and length. But Billy did mention, uh, this is during halftime, and I, I heard another mention of this, and I don't know if it was from Billy necessarily this time after the game, but Billy mentioned defending the paint due to to do to the Sixers' length. Obviously, you have Joel Embiid, um, Al Horford. Then you have guys like Ben Simmons and even Richardson who are just long and lanky and who can drive to the rim at will. And they, they made a point to protect the paint. I think because of that, that led to open threes for the Sixers early, early on in the game. Those players like Josh Richardson, like I mentioned, were knocking down three-point shots. That gave them confidence from outside. And from there, it was just kind of a snowball effect. And I'm not saying that Billy had a a wrong game plan or that the Thunder had a wrong game plan or that the players necessarily played that wrong but it just seemed like after that they really struggled to kind of catch up and to adjust um you know the Sixers continued to play or shoot the ball really well from outside and as poorly as they shot all season I think that's probably a pretty good game plan that the Thunder had they just happened to hit their shots tonight meanwhile the Thunder were not um an example of that my next negative Shea Gilgis Alexander, who I love dearly, and honestly had he didn't necessarily have like an awful game. I'm throwing him here, throwing him in here at in the negatives, but it's not like he just had a piss poor game by any means. Excuse my language, but you know he still had eight, uh, four, uh, 14 points, nine rebounds, two assists on six of 13 shooting, but he was 0 three from three, two of five from the free throw line, which is pretty killer. And is another negative, which I'll get into here in a little bit. The free throw line. <laughs> But Shea was also a by far uh, the worst plus minus on the team at a negative 13, which I don't always like to throw that number out or that stat out because it, it's not always indicative uh, of the game. But tonight, I felt like it was for Shea. Um, I really feel like Philly's length hurt Shea, especially since he thrives at driving to the rim, and he didn't really have a shot going tonight from outside to kind of open that up for him, not to mention his teammates didn't either, which didn't help him at all. So you have those long, lengthy defenders, defenders like I mentioned, like Ben Simmons and uh, Richardson, and you have you know long, lengthy guys down low like Embiid and uh, Al Horford, who are shot blockers, who can really disrupt that shot and, and kind of force him to adjust. And I think that really kind of uh, got to Shea a little bit tonight. I think, and I mentioned this guy, but Ben Simmons, you know, he, he always gets uh, kind of crap for being bad at shooting, and honestly, he deserves it. I think he deserves a lot of it, and. Uh, but he's played great defense all year, and I think a lot of that contributes to Shea's play tonight, as well as Chris Paul's. You know, I thought um, Ben did really great on both of them when he was on either of them tonight. Uh, any any of our point guards, I thought Ben played another solid defensive game, and you know he he's really made a case for an all defensive team this season. He, he's been playing really good defense. Shea also struggles some defensively. I mentioned the defense, but Shea himself defensively, whether he was matched up with Ben Simmons or off the ball with guys like Richardson, he continue to kind of struggle with that the players who are stronger than him maybe uh a little longer 
like it wasn't necessarily his best defensive game. Although I've mentioned this before in the past, and it seems like his defensive game kind of feeds off how he's playing offensively, which is a common theme uh, for for many players. I think uh, I don't think that's like necessarily crazy for to happen to a player, but um, that's something I've noticed with Shea. And I think we, is that his uh, offensive intensity usually leads into defensive intensity as well. Uh, but regardless, he was due for a quote unquote off night, which is really saying something about how incredible he's been playing. And he, like I said, he still had a solid stat line. So I'm not worried about Shea at all. And I think games like these are just perfect and beneficial for his growth. And uh, he's only going to get better from games like this. And, you know, I'm going to be saying all this. And whoever's doing the post game tomorrow night for the uncontested will probably be talking about Shea having another 32 plus game, uh, 32 plus point game. <laughs> so, uh, not worried about Shea, but he certainly wasn't a positive by any means. Now, another point guard, Chris Paul. Uh, I'm not going to even say Chris Paul as a whole was a negative, but his jumper sure was tonight, which is something that's been just about as reliable as the sun rising and setting. You know, um, Chris Paul's jumper has been one of the most reliable things all season. It's been phenomenal. But tonight, it was not quite as much so. What has seemed automatic all season did not hold up. As he was 6-16 from the field. And he also disappointed uh, down the clutch where he pretty much just died all season. And for reference, Chris Paul, prior to tonight, had 91 points in the clutch, which is 13 more than any other player this season. And the clutch is defined as um, the last five minutes of a game when the game is within five points. It, I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. And don't get me wrong, I think tonight was kind of an anomaly for Chris, but the combination of length and defenders on him, like Josh Richardson and Ben Simmons, like I mentioned against Shea, I think it really disrupted kind of Chris as well. Even though he had a solid stat line, his shooting was definitely not the same. I think you have to credit Philly for that. I really do. I really do. And so my last negative here, free throws. Thunder shot 21 of 31 from the line, 67.7% from the field, were fouled six more times than the Sixers were even though it felt like they were fouled way more than that in the second half. It just seemed like Steven was going to the line constantly. Um, but if you make five more of those shots, I think you put yourself into a even better position to win this game. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. You know, it, that's an anom anomaly as well for this team, but um, they could have really used it against an elite team like Philly, and they did not do so. And so that, that, that is a negative. But enough for the negativity. Let's jump to some pauses before I jump to your guys' awesome Twitter questions. I'm going to try and get through these a little quicker. So I can jump into some of these questions because I got some really good ones. Um, but my first positive is I have an all caps here, Stephen freaking Adams. We kind of poo-pooed on Stephen early on the season this year, as did many of you Thunder fans and did uh, many other national media because it just not it, it did not seem like he was healthy. And I, I don't even know the date, but... Over the past month or so, he's just looked like a brand new player and has played. I predicted him preseason to make his first All-Star game, which I knew was kind of a stretch, but was like kind of when I was just keeping my finger trust for. And I felt like he would get close to. But if he were playing like this the entire season, he would not make me look crazy. Um, I mean, if he had been playing like uh, the entire season, like he has the past month, month and a half, two months, I, I don't think he would be look, making me look crazy at all. And tonight was one of, if not maybe his very best game in the entire season, 24 points, 15 rebounds, and two blocks. He was all over the place. He was outworking Joel Embiid. It was so fun to watch. For reference, the Thunder out-rebound the Sixers tonight with, without Nerlens Noel, which I haven't mentioned yet. Noel rolled his ankle the other night, um, did not play tonight. I 
doubt he'll play tomorrow. He might not play the rest of this week. We'll see. But the Thunder were still able to out-rebound the long, lanky Sixers, 47-42, having 14 offensive rebounds to the Sixers' 9. And um, unfortunately, the Thunder could not capitalize on those second chances tonight, as I mentioned, with their shooting, their poor shooting. But regardless, I think a lot of that is attributed to Adams and his aggressive play. He looked incredible. And I mentioned this earlier, but he completely outplayed Embiid. And you could tell he was fired up for this game, which I love. You can tell he gets fired up for certain games. Embiid was one of them. Uh, shout out Russell Westbrook and the rivalry that him and Embiid had. I don't know, but but Steven was ready. He took uh, Steven took his third charge tonight, which is really cool. I tweeted off that gif uh, of his second charge earlier, I guess it was this past weekend, of him doing the fist pump, which you always love to see. He's pushing Embiid around. He just looked almost unstoppable. And uh, he was just so active. He looked healthy. Knock on wood. And I love how involved he is in this offense. And Comer actually mentioned this in his last post game, uh, the last post game podcast that we had prior to our group pod this past Sunday. But um, you have to give credit to Billy, I think, for unleashing Steven and his potential in this offense, like he has with the ball screens, the pick and rolls, and just flashing Steven to the high post, letting him create offense and running some offense through him. It's just been huge, not only for this offense and this personnel, but for Steven and his potential as a whole, which I still think is kind of untapped but not so much because of Billy or because of the offense or the offensive schemes or personnel, as much as I do just think it's just Steven's personality. And this might just kind of be what we get, just an incredibly solid player when he's healthy. Um, but I do think he's capable of more if he would ever just let loose. Regardless, huge positive, probably my number one positive, Steven Adams. And I hope to continue to see that, particularly with, with Nerland sidelined as long as he will be. We'll see how long. My next positive, and actually my last positive, which is kind of sad, but turnovers and fast break points. Um, the Thunder had 19 points off turnovers. I should say points off turnovers, not turnovers themselves, but uh, points off turnovers and fast break points. The Thunder had 19 points off turnovers to the Sixers 11, and they had 24 fast break points to the Sixers 9. That is quite a discrepancy there. And like I mentioned with my, my game recap, that started early in the first quarter when they had nine fast break points to the Sixers zero. And Billy mentioned using, again, in one of his, uh, I think it was his, his post-game interview, mentioned using the team speed and pushing the ball being a priority due to the Sixers' length and strength. And the Thunder definitely did that, which I honestly felt kept them in this game, even as they missed shots and opportunities. But again, it was all those other things. Um, some of the guys that have been so reliable and so clutch for us this season just weren't able to uh, make shots like they have been able to all season. Thunder as a whole weren't able to. And you combine all of that with what I just said and unfortunately weren't able to to pull it off. But I think they were able to stay close because one of those biggest reasons being the fast break points and the points off turnovers. So like I said, that's <laughs> all the uh, positives I came up with. One, because... That's just kind of some of the only positives from tonight's game that really stuck out. But also, and this could be another positive we can throw in there, you guys sent me some great questions on both Twitter and Reddit. So I wanted to take a little bit of time to answer those before we head out. So my first of these comes from Thunderfan4202 on Reddit. Who on the Thunder should Philly trade for? Which honestly is a really good question. There's a lot of targets uh, that I think Philly could be interested in. Mikey Barra on Monday's Down to Dunk actually brought up some uh, a really fun hypothetical trade that I hadn't really thought of and I'm still not sure I'm a fan of but it certainly makes sense Mikey's like one of the smartest basketball guys and so it, it really does make sense um all that to say I'm going to throw out some targets for you guys I think the most obvious one that you guys have probably heard thrown around which might be why you're asking this question Thunderfan4202 Chris Paul 
And uh, I'm not sure that Philly would want to take on contracts like that. I'm not sure if they'd be willing to shift Ben Simmons to an off-ball role, uh, whether that's a power forward or whether that's a shooting guard position, whatever that may be. Um, but Chris Paul certainly would be a great fit on that team, I think. And they could use a playmaker and a guy who could just take over in the clutch after losing Jimmy Butler. But I think you could also do that like to a less extreme with Dennis Schroeder on a, obviously a much less contract. That might be a more safe bet. You could bring him off the bench. You could play him with Ben Simmons. It could be your, a little more of a natural fit and um, at a less risk. I think Dennis Schroeder could be a good fit for them. But then they could also could use a backup big. Like, and that's kind of what Mikey was alluding to. I don't want to steal his thunder by any means or not give him credit. So, uh, you know, Nerlens Noel, I think there could be a really good fit as well, bringing him back to the process, which would be really funny. And then obviously just Danilo Gallinari, just fit on just about any team. And this is one of those teams that he could fit really well on. If they were able to move on from Al Horford, obviously you couldn't do that if you did not trade Al. But regardless, those are some guys I think that Philly could target. That just shows you how many versatile guys that I think the Thunder have that many teams will be be at least inquiring about. So back to Twitter. I had a ton from you guys, uh, which I'm very appreciative of. Um, one of them is from at Zayofik. I can never pronounce his at. Um, but he said, obviously, Musky regrets not getting Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers World Tattoo. What tattoo do other Thunder players regret not getting? Which is a super fun question. Um, I think the first one that comes to mind is Chris Paul probably should get some praying hands uh, somewhere, like on his back or something, maybe, or an arm, because he's the point guard, you know? I think that's a good one. And then Steven Adams is the other obvious one that comes to mind. That man's got to get some Aquaman tattoos, some Jason Momoa tattoos, whether that's the you know the tribal tattoo on the bicep or whatever it is. Um, now, I will say Steven does have some great tattoos himself, but regardless... If he had matching tattoos with Jason Momoa, Aquaman, uh, a.k.a. Cal, Cal Drogo, I think that'd be pretty awesome. Thunderbeard at Smelly Fartbox, which is uh, Fartbox88, which is just the bet, best at. He said, do you think Russ will exchange jerseys after the game? And if so, with who? I do not think so. I do not think so. That is not Russ at all. That is not his personality. And uh, I do not think he will be doing that with anybody there i think he'll he'll show the utmost respect to the Thunder organization i think he'll be hugging you'll see him hugging all the players or sorry not the players uh, the players that he knows at least uh, the coaches um probably the uh, the arena staff you know coming into the game like during warm-ups and stuff but when it comes to game time it doesn't matter who's on the other end of the floor rest of this many times he's going to play the same way and i truly respect that and love that about russ and um, i think it's gonna be the same situation okay so you don't expect him to do any jersey swaps or any of the post game you know big big hugs or any of that stuff um thunderbird also asked do you think nerlens could have changed the dynamic of this game considering how horford continued to target muscala in the post absolutely and don't get me wrong muscala had some some positive moments it wasn't like he was just like complete negative for this game but having nerlens changes that game dramatically dramatically just having him coming off the bench gives Stephen a little more rest and just the things that uh, Nerlens is able to do, just protecting the the rim down low, I think would have been huge for this game. And I absolutely think it would have been huge to have him compared to Muscala, who I just, honestly, I this is going to be bold, but I think two years from now, I'm not sure he's going to even be in the league. Or if he is, he's going to be buried on the bench somewhere and probably not getting playing time, uh, which might be a little rough, you know, coming from a fanboy, um, just podcasting. But so be it. You know, I, I really don't think <laughs> um, that highly Muscala. 
Now, Rise at battling at Batlin Rise asks, "Where do you think Shea and CP rank amongst the best starting backcourts in the West?" And this is a really good, great question, and also a tough question. So, I think the best way to do this, I just pull up the Western Conference standings. I'm just go going to go through the top like ten teams here, and or uh, at least the top seven because the Thunder are seventh in the West, and we'll see uh, compare them to their backcourts, like the Lakers, for example. Obviously, AD and LeBron being their best players, not in the backcourt. And I think the Thunder absolutely have a better backcourt than the Lakers. The Nuggets, even with Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray um, they're really struggling to find that two guard there in, in Denver. And I think they have a better backcourt there. The Rockets, I'm wanting to say no. And I think that's largely just because of how incredible and dominant that James Harden is. Just able to score at will and combine that with Russ. Uh, they really have kind of be, been able to get it going here recently um, i'm going to go ahead and say no to the rockets backcourt clippers backcourt i would say yes still probably better than the clippers backcourt um, even though they have paul george and Kawhi. one of them probably playing shooting guards so maybe that kind of mixes it up um or you have you know, i think they've been playing them with three and the four so some of you're playing them with three and the four i think the thunder still have a better backcourt than them the jazz <laughs> Conley can't play because he's not healthy so yes the mavericks you have Doncic who's essentially playing backcourt, even though he started at like small forward. He's, he's primarily bringing the ball up. Um, but when you take the Thunder's backcourt as a whole, I still think it's better than the Mavericks. So, I, yeah, I mean, I think the Thunder have maybe the, the second-best backcourt, if not the best backcourt in the West, which seems crazy, um, just as a whole, collectively. But it just shows you how how important that small forward and power forward position player, or especially small forward <laughs> position is um, in, the, in the league right now. And the Thunders don't have that go-to guy. Um, that was a great question. Also, Payers35 at Peyton Lang, very good friend of me and Nick's. We always text and, uh, and whatnot about uh, NBA and have been good friends all the way since like elementary school. So Payers asked me in the last 17 games since December 1st, excluding tonight, OKC is 13-4. and four. During that span, Stephen Adams has been averaging 13.6 points and 10.2 rebounds. After a rough start, it seems he's starting to turn things around, which we've talked about on this podcast. Um, how important has this play been to this team's success as of late? And I think it's abs- its a great question. Really good context there, Peyton. Absolutely is huge for this team's success. And critical. Just the things that he's able to do that just go unseen. Whether it's setting solid, setting solid picks, or like I mentioned, him flashing to the high pose and just initiating the offense through him, and him making um, solid backdoor passes, or what, getting, you know, getting uh, or giving the opportunity for some of these perimeter players like Schroeder, SGA, CP3 to get open uh, for outside shots, whatever it may be, and then just him banging down low, doing what he did tonight, playing solid defense on some of the best interior players in the league, like Joel Embiid. Just him being able to do that, being healthy is huge and when he wasn't healthy like at the beginning of the season he's not doing that extra stuff like banging down low getting those extra rebounds being aggressive um he's seen passive and i think that's kind of what we were seeing early on the season when he wasn't healthy compared to now where he's just all over the place and that's why i've loved seeing from steven i absolutely think his recent play is is a huge reason for this the success that the Thunder have had so far so i've gone a little long and i still have like i think four or five twitter questions you guys were awesome i really really appreciate you guys doing this fortunately i went long during my uh, longer than i thought i would during my post game analysis so i'm gonna pick one more um i'm gonna pick this one from zoko at fee underscore lson who is one player in the league that you pair shea with and 
one that is any player and one that is more than likely acquirable now or in the near future, which is a awesome question. Um, oh, that's so hard. Any player in the league is like very, very broad, but like around his time frame, his time frame, I just keep imagining Shea with Devin Booker, the two Kentucky grads. I think, or not grads, but uh, came from <laughs> came from the uh, Kentucky into the league. I think Shea and Book would be pretty incredible together. That's another guard or a small forward um, that Shea could play alongside with. That he wouldn't necessarily have to have the ball in his hands all the time. That could create and open up other opportunities for Shea. Uh, and Shea could do the same for Booker. I think both of them together would be pretty incredible, pretty unstoppable. Now for a realistic target, uh, that's really tough, especially off the top of my head. But I continue to think another ball handler. I mentioned this. Uh, be sure to go and listen to our group pod that we did um, this this past, I guess, Monday. Um, by the time you guys are listening to this, tomorrow on Tuesday. Because we we mentioned, and I think I mentioned, how Billy likes to play multiple ball handlers, to, multiple ball handlers together, and I think Shea does really well playing alongside another ball handler, for example, like CP3, and you're not going to find another Chris Paul, obviously, but targeting a player of that nature. So like the one that just comes off the top of my head is like if Gallo were traded to Portland, and Pressy was able to get as many assets as he could out of that deal. And maybe you got an, an Anthony Simons to play alongside Shea and watch them develop together. Um, somebody like that who could be a, a another kind of primary ball handler alongside Shea that allowed him to play off ball a little bit, um, but also could play off ball when Shea had the ball in his hands. I think it'd be kind of the perfect balance for him like we've seen with Chris Paul. So that's just kind of the ideal player that I'm looking for. And that was just uh, Anthony Simons, the first one that came off of my head without doing some research since this post-game podcast. But I love that question, Zoko. Um, and I appreciate all of you guys sending these questions. They were awesome. They filled in a ton of time. Um, and I went, like I said, I went longer on my post-game analysis than I thought I was going to. Um, I really could have done just like half a podcast of your guys' questions. And I appreciate you guys so much. So please continue to send those in, not only to me, but obviously all of our guys doing the post-game podcast. And um, whenever we are able to, we will absolutely be asking for questions for our group pods every week as well. So thank you guys again. And thank you guys again for listening tonight. Uh, coming up, the Thunder play again tomorrow night on a back-to-back against the Nets before coming back home for a big one. Russell Westbrook himself returns to OKC on Thursday night. Uh, Nick will actually be covering that game for Forbes, which is awesome. He's going to be down there. He'll have you guys covered. Be sure to follow him at Crane NBA. Meanwhile, Jacob and I will both be there in attendance, be there at the game. We'll certainly be posting some things and uh, are really excited about that and get, getting to be there for our favorite player. I'm uh, really excited to see him come back and to see the reception. Uh, that he will have in, in OKC. So the contest will have you guys covered for it all, including more post-game podcasts for all these games. So stay tuned. Thank you guys again for tuning in tonight. And we cannot thank you enough for your guys' constant love and support. It's been an incredible start to the new year. We're so excited, uh, really optimistic, and, and have a lot of fun things planned for you guys. If you guys have enjoyed what you've heard, leave a five-star review or rating. It help us out a ton. Continue to help us out. You guys have been great about that. Please continue. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Uncontested. Stay tuned for tomorrow night because, like I mentioned, we'll have you guys come for another post-game pod after the Brooklyn game. And until then, thunder up. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. 
The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.